All right, guys, I'm going to tell you a little story for this uh, to start out this episode, right? I went down to the gym the other day with my Mima, right? My grandma's a real big fan of the show. She's a real big fan of Alex Turner. She says, that guy's handsome. He's thick. I want to be like him. I'm like, all right, Mima, you got it. She's like, take me down to that EOS fitness. I want to do some bench. So I'm like, all right, Mima, you got it. We'll go down the bench. She's like, all right, I'm going to do some bench. So she puts on, I think she's going to put on, you know, five pounds on each side, maybe just do the bar. She, this crazy hag puts on 45 pounds on the other side of the bar. I'm like, Mima, that's a little too much. I'm going to spot you. She's like, you spot me, your inheritance is gone. I'm like, all right, you got it. <laughs> so she takes the bar off of the off the rack there, and the bar falls on her neck, kills her dead. I tried to help, you know. <laughs> I tried to help, but – um. The reason why it didn't work out for her, she didn't use our discount code, OpenGuardCast25, to get 25% off of electric performance. Hey, I did what I could. And you can use the same thing, <laughs> OpenGuardCast25 by electric performance. We are here with Array Alexander. My name is Jake Waz. This is Danny O'Donnell. And before we get started with this episode, I want to ask you guys, just at the start, um, be sure to leave us a review on any of those podcast platforms that you can leave a review on. You know, five stars is the minimum that I would suggest you guys leave. And then uh, also just like uh, say what you think about the podcast. If you hate us, that helps because then we know. But we are here with world-class talent from Lloyd Irvin. Uh, Aurel Alexander, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, my multiple personality is doing great. I'm just, yeah, what what'd you, what'd you think of that intro first off? <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I never tell Danny what I'm doing with these intros because I don't want him to be like, no, don't do it. You know, because <laughs> it's just like, I, where's my creative freedom there? You know, we we only thank one sponsor. As soon as we have to thank multiple, half the podcast episode is going to be me ranting with my different characters. So, uh, no, it's great to have you on. Um, man, we, we, we get to see and meet so many people on the show. And, uh, and you are a product of the Lloyd Irvin Kids program, right? Yep. Man, I hear so many great things about that program. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into jiu-jitsu? So it was completely random, honestly. I mean, I started at Team Lloyd Urban for martial arts summer camp. So that's like your standard punches and kicks and stuff like that. And then they would like grapple when we had like downtime. So all of the people who didn't grapple would like be, you know, off to the side doing whatever and they would put up like the little mat barriers and I would peek over and be like what is going on over there what is happening and I was like I feel like I could do that mm -hmm. so after um summer camp ended I basically begged my parents to let me stay in the program and then eventually I started grappling and it's been great ever since <laughs> yeah I, I would say. So do you want to talk a little bit about like what you feel like makes that program different? Because I think there's a lot of good kids programs for jujitsu, but I feel like one of the biggest problems is retaining students. Like I feel like kids will stick with it for a few years and then drop off. But the Lloyd Irvin Kids program does a really great job, it seems like, from, from an outsider's perspective, of keeping kids engaged and getting them to like a really high level as adults. So do you feel like there's something that the program does differently from other kids programs? Um, we're very, very big on camaraderie, like a lot of um, Halloween sleepovers and Night of the Ninjas and movie nights, teen nights, stuff like that when we were growing up. So we would always hang out together. So, you know, you have your school friends, but then, you know, we would be pressed to hang out with each other. So we would be pressed for tournaments. Oh, you're going to the Nog or you're going to Grappler's Quest. Um, 
And I feel like, not to say that we didn't have people kind of fall off, because I feel like every program kind of deals with that, Mm -hmm. Um, especially around the transition to middle school and the transition to high school. So we had, uh, you know, we had people that come up, came up with us that, you know, eventually were like, don't really want to do this anymore, you know, or my parents forced me to do it, but now I'm in high school, so I can kind of make my own decisions. But for the most part, our core group, um, me, Jamil, Malachi, Angelo, um, kind of stuck to it. Man, so you so you grew up with with all those people. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's super, yeah, that's super that's cool. You guys all became yeah. super high level too. Like you guys just rose up together. Everybody you just said is a killer. We had Malachi on the show. I'm, I'm sure you, uh, Danny told you we had Malachi on the show. One of our favorite guests. Like that guy was so funny. And uh, one of the funniest things was Malachi. like, he talked, <laughs> well, he talked about you guys too. He talked about growing up with you guys. And I think that's, that's awesome. That's a similar experience that I think I've had is I, um, I grew up around the same people. I've been training with the same people since I was 12 years old. So I think there's, man, there's gotta be something to be said for that. Like growing up together builds you as an athlete too, where like, I think there's strength. Obviously there has to be in like these factories. I don't want to call them factories, but like, like champion places where like there's champions everywhere, but they they didn't grow up together. There's strength in that, but there's like a, a weird and special strength you get from growing up with your best friends and becoming good with them. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I mean, like, If anybody has seen me on the side when Jamil or anybody is uh, competing, like I'm probably more excited and nervous and everything than when I compete myself, because I feel like some of those other places, you don't really have those bonds where everybody might be out for self. Like it's a team and you're building each other up. But at the end of the day, you're looking at it like I'm trying to do this. I feel like we look at it like we're all trying to like win and get to the you know make it to the top of the podium like jamil's matches i think it's his match with cobrina you can literally see me on the side jumping up and down <laughs> and that's just like that's how i am with everybody so um it's it's a, it's a different dynamic for sure yeah, I feel like if people have ever gone to the Worlds and, and been to the Pyramid, they've seen Team Lloyd Irvin as a group doing all the chants and cheering for each other. And it's just, you, you know it's them. You can you can hear the, the chants and you know it's you guys. <laughs> for yeah, sure. that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what's cool is I kind of, uh, I mean, we heard, I heard you now talk about it and Malachi. And it's kind of like, even when Muhammad Ali and Tim Spriggs fought at ADCC, they didn't have a problem going against each other because they're 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 tight. They're friends. Like, well, who wins? Whatever. Like, we're friends. Why does it matter? Yeah. And I think that's that match in particular really showcased the kind of tight bond that you guys have at like that you have built training together. I think it's like that match goes deeper than just the result. It goes like they actually went at it hard and that's they were fine. In the room, though. That's yeah, like, for sure. All of us. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's really cool. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you were like as a kid's competitor? Because I think that was one of my favorite parts of the interview with Malachi is he was talking about all the struggles he had as a kid, all the losses he had to overcome. And like you see you guys now just just winning almost every tournament. So what was it like as a kid? Were you winning still or was it did you have to overcome a lot of adversity? So for me, it was a little bit different. Um, 
I started off really, really good. Um, it, it just kind of came naturally to me. Like my coach would call me, we would start um, grappling after we did like our techniques and stuff at 1055, I think. And he would call me the 1055 assassin. Because <laughs> at, at that time, like especially, you know, when you're younger, I, I think I was grappling at like nine or 10, you're younger and you're a girl too. There's no, you know, I'm I'm up there. So mm-hmm. 1055, I, I was putting it on the guys. Like <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and then a lot of like tournaments and stuff. I I um I think the first tournament I ever did was Grappler's Quest, and I got like first and third. And um I actually got first in no gi, which is weird because I had never done no gi before, and I got third in gi, and I think I got Kimura, and I I didn't know what a Kimura was. So um. I did pretty good competition wise. Um, even the, you know, even moving up and stuff before they started like separating the um, girls and the boys, I would still fight the boys. I would still be beating the boys. I started doing women's divisions when I was 12 um, and I would win those. So I, I, I did pretty good. Um, yeah, and then that kind of transitioned eventually into the women's divisions and the juvenile for the worlds and stuff like that. So were you competing in all the the worlds as as juvenile? Like when was when was your first world championship? Two thousand and nine. Two thousand nine first worlds I ever did. Um, completely life changing experience. That was like. To watch everybody, um, I, I I got double gold 2009, 2010 in juvenile. Wow. And then, um, but that that first world's watching like the black belt was like crazy. And I was just like, oh yeah, I, I want to do this. I want to be, you know, fighting on Sunday one day. Oh yeah. You just said that, <laughs> it gave me goosebumps. That's like when I, when I fought Pan Ams this, this year, I was kind of sad that the guy didn't do like the uh, in the white representing Maracaibo BJJ. <laughs> so I wish he would have done that. But like even fighting on Sunday, that was the biggest dream for me as a kid. I started when I was 12. What age did you start? Nine. Nine. Okay. So you you started before I did. But um, I remember being like 13 years old, my coach showing me the world championship and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to fight there so bad. Like I want to do that so bad. And then I finally got to black belt and I qualified for worlds and I was like, all right. I want to get to Sunday. And that was the, that was like my whole thing. And then I lost on Sunday, but that's okay. Cause I got it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so do you I remember at that, at that 2009 worlds, were there any black belts in particular that you remember watching and just thinking, I want to do what he or she is doing. So for me, um, Leticia Hibero, Kara Gracie and Michelle Nicolini. Like I was just in there like, wow. The, I just feel like the, like, technique for for the women's division was just like on point like Letitia and those basics and then Michelle Nicolini's um that that open guard oh I was just it's beautiful beautiful I love it really, it. Yeah, it really is. It's cool too because they have like pretty different styles. Like Nicolini would be more considered like a modern competitor, and Leticia has like super solid basics and and amazing foundation. So, yeah, that's really cool. So I always find it really interesting to hear like who top competitors nowadays who they looked up to when they were coming up through the ranks. 
Yeah. Who is yours, Danny? <laughs> um, I never asked first... you that. You asked that before. I never got your answer. Who is your for? Who is your your example to follow? I had a couple that I like really liked watching. The first was Hobson Mora because I started a Hobson Mora affiliate. So I got to see some of his, he, he was still competing when I started jiu-jitsu, but he was at the end of his uh, competitive career. But, uh, but yeah, I used to watch him and then Cobrinha. Ooh, those are my two favorite coming up. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. In 2009, 2010 was back when you could like celebrate and do all the crazy stuff. I was like, oh, oh, heck yeah, that's awesome. Can't do that anymore. But mm-hmm. it's still pretty cool. Like, man. I remember, I remember being in the stands. I was accidentally, I didn't do this on purpose. I was in the middle of the check mat area when Bouchesha won the absolute. And I've, I honestly thought I was going to go deaf. Like there was like (laughs) four people around me with these (laughs) things that you spin. And there was like a guy with a megaphone and people had instruments. I was like, what the, how did you get in here with that? That is a drum instrument. (laughs) (laughs) Bring a freaking Morongan war drum. Like it's crazy. No, but, uh, yeah, I, I love, uh, I love like, I don't know. I miss worlds. I miss this whole, this whole time. How have you been doing with everything with COVID going on? Like, how has it been with training? How is you, how have you had to adjust? So I haven't been training. Um, that's just my personal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I got family members and then my, I, I, that's just me. Understand. So, yeah, it, it's been rough, but I, I feel like it's a little bit different for me because, um, the past like two years I've been dealing with injuries kind of on and off. So I would be like at the gym, but I wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> so it's just kind of like adding it on. Like I was just getting back um i think maybe a couple months before everything happened and then i was like oh i'm gonna compete at pants and then everything got shut down and i was just like well never mind um but i'm working and then i think what was it july i decided to apply to grad school so i'm doing the grad school thing now um because i figured i have time so might as well get as much done as I can while I have time and then just get it over with. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to get into like your career and grad school and stuff, but you mentioned having issues with injuries coming up through the ranks and stuff. Um, so do you have any tips for people who have maybe like a severe injury that they can show up to the gym, but their, their activity is going to be limited just because of issues they're having with, with their body. Um, for me, it was just showing up. Like I, I would still show up to pra- all my practices. I would do what I can as far as um, conditioning and then drilling and stuff. Um, if something bothered me, I would stop. But showing up, I, I sit on the side and watch everybody grapple. Just taking everything in still. Don't sit at home and feel sorry for yourself or anything like that. Try to stay positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had to uh, go through anything like that, Jake, where you were coming to class but not necessarily being able to participate the way you wanted to? <sighs> sort of. Um, so the whole the whole experience of it was – I mean I think it was a little bit different for everybody, this whole COVID thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean my gym shut down completely for like two months. And then when I first came – when I first came back, it was different for me because I was in the middle of like wanting to move out and – 
I was I was unsure if my dream was dead. So when when it was all over, I was doing the open guard cast with Danny, thinking I'm never gonna be able to do jujitsu again anyway. Pretty much like that's I think looking back that might have been a little dramatic, just given like I think it's getting better. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's getting worse. I don't know. But um, I felt like because we were doing uh like outside trainings and we were doing like scheduled trainings and stuff like that. I think it was just um. For me, it was like I didn't even want to train because I was like, this is over. Like, I can't compete anymore. I can't do what I want to do. Um, what about you, Danny? Um, yeah, I mean, I've had one surgery since I started jiu-jitsu, but I feel like I was pretty much doing what Ray was saying, just coming to class, like trying to watch the technique, watch competition footage, drill whatever I could that wasn't going to, like, impact my knee. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and I felt like that really helped. I felt like I learned a lot when I was – when I had something that – like I had basically a limb that I couldn't use the way I used to yeah. before. So I kind of had to figure out things on the other side of my body and stuff like that. So I actually that's, feel like it helped. That's true. You know, and I, I actually have injured my hand, but I didn't do anything about it. And then I, I, I tore my LCL one time and that was scary because that felt like a real injury. But it, but I didn't stop training, which is stupid. Looking back, I probably might have wanted to take a break. But <laughs> I put, a, I put a, a brace on and was like, I'm good. And the doctor was like, no, you're not. And I was like, you're lying. He is free. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I think I should have stopped, but I, instead I just played a different game, you know? I just put the air quotations on. I was like, I'm fine. So, yeah, no, you probably did both of you, and I didn't. Uh, I wear glasses, <laughs> and I, I don't actually need them. These are just for the screen. So <laughs> I'm not smart is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> oh, my God, that's funny. So so one thing we, we always ask people who, who started competing as kids is, um, like at what point in your jiu-jitsu career did you decide to be like a professional? But one of the interesting things about you that you just mentioned is that you also have a full-time job and you're pursuing your graduate degree. So I'm assuming you kind of had these academic goals going on at the same time as like your jiu-jitsu career was kind of on the up and up. So did you have like a moment where you kind of decided like, okay, I want to do jiu-jitsu and compete at a high level, but I also want to pursue this other path at the same time? Yeah. So um, growing up with my parents, uh, higher education is not, you know, not an option. So college was definitely a must, um, and then getting good grades and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but then, you know, I also am doing really well at jiu-jitsu and I like it, love it, um, love competing. So I just was like, I'm gonna do both um, and see kind of how it pans out. And then I know I'm not, you know, it's not a rarity. I'm not the only one that does that. Um, Musumekis, I always talk about them because I, I don't know how they do it. Tammy like just finished law school and I'm just like, wow, you know, so it is possible. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's definitely are some examples. Um, I think that's a great one that you mentioned, the Musumekis. But um, I think like a lot of people, even though there are those examples, if, you, if you're willing to look for them, I think some people have this idea in their head that if you're not training twice a day, if you're not doing all this conditioning on top of that and just dedicating your whole life to training, that you can't achieve what you've achieved. So like, was there anything that you had to to do differently, do you feel like? Like maybe you focused on like a smaller subset of techniques or something like that? Like anything that you felt helped keep you on the same level as your competition, even though you had a ton of stuff going on off the mat? Yes. Yeah, so if 
if you kind of look at my matches and stuff, you know, I'm I'm pretty much a basics person. Like I'm not Jamil flipping around and doing all stuff with lapels because that that was kind of like what I was good at. So I had to kind of stick to what I was good at and just get really, really, really good at it. So, you know, put people into my game and then that's how I win. So um, and and that's what I talked about before, where like um, now that I'm a black belt and I have more, you know, I graduated, I have more time to train. Um, I'm kind of exploring these other techniques and different that I would never ever do before. Like if you told me I wasn't going to be, you know, pulling guard and Camorran people, and that I like passing the guard and doing all like way different stuff, especially since I've been grappling since I was a kid too. So like pulling guard and triangling somebody when I was younger was like my bread and butter. Um, but now I'm, I'm exploring more things, footlocks, um, uh, takedowns, stuff like that, where it's, it's different because you feel like a white belt again in a way. Like I, I know how to do the techniques, but just trying to perfect them and integrate them to your game. Um, it's a little bit different versus just going to, you know, my usual stuff that I'm good at. <laughs> really, really good at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel uh, that's a really good way to put it is like you're a white belt again, which isn't a bad thing. I don't think I, uh, I, <laughs> I have there's many points in my, in my career. I'm sure Danny can agree that you feel like a white belt because you're learning something. And you're just like, your body's not agreeing with it. You're like, I don't like this. Why am I doing what? The heck is Birumbolo? What? <laughs> Ew, <that's> gross. <laughs> but I love Birumbolo now. But I remember when I first learned it, it took me a year to learn it. And I was like, dude, can I just triangle? And my coach was like, no. Otherwise, you won't learn anything. Like, don't you want to learn something? Yeah. No. That's basically the same thing with me. Just, you know, we, you just open up. Open up. And I'm like, but I open up. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Scary stuff. And I, uh, I'm glad that, I mean, it's good for everybody watching you to be able to uh, train more now. I mean, I, I read your, uh, your BJJ heroes and I was, I was thinking, what the heck? I don't even know what your degree, like geotechnical sculptural <laughs> structural. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was a lot of joke. I actually just messed up. Yeah. But it's I like, I don't even know what civil engineering is, you know? So, uh, I, I didn't go to college, but when, when in your career did you decide you wanted to go down that track? At what point were you like, did you ever have to make a choice between jujitsu and going to college and getting a higher education? Or did you just, did you know you were going to eventually do both? No, I, I kind of figured I was going to do both. When, after my first semester of college though, it was really, really hard. And I was like, uh, I don't know, but I stuck to it. And then I stuck to training too. So, um, I, I kind of always was like, I'm, I'm going to make for these work okay so you want to talk about your your career like what exactly do you do and like what got you interested in engineering in the first place so ever well i've always been good at math and science and like problem solving and stuff like that um middle school high school and then so college like well, I don't really like anything else, and that kind of fits what I want to do. And then I went to um, a science and tech high school, and you kind of had to have majors within the program. And I don't like, like, biology and 
stuff like like biology and chemistry and so my major was engineering and based on that and then I took like a dual enrollment class um I was like yeah I can you know I can do this engineering sure um and I just picked civil because you kind of have that design aspect in a way um civil engineering people always think of like buildings and bridges so yeah um, yeah and what i do now is not what i would imagine myself doing but um just kind of fell in my lap i applied for an internship uh i think my junior year of college at one of the utility companies here power utility company and i liked it so i stayed on for I think another two internships and then they offered me a full-time job like right before I started my last year. So I was like, oh, I'll lock that in. I'll be good to go. Um, and it's it's been great. So I basically, I always had to explain to people because <laughs> I talked to Tim and he was like, uh, I'm going to be really confused. And I was like, no, I can simplify it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so your power lines, like the the poles and stuff that you see, usually um, in a lot of areas, what they're doing now is they're putting them underground because it's more reliable. So tree, you know, trees don't fall on it and knock out your power or something. So mm -hmm. I basically help with like the design and construction of putting those power lines underground. That's awesome. That is a and, very, very cool. Very cool career, <laughs> very cool job to work on. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. So do, do you feel like, because sometimes I think that people who have, or, or I should say competitors who have something going on outside of just competition, it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off them because they have other things to fall back on and their whole life isn't just based around how, how they're performing on the mats. Do you feel that way? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'm super competitive, so I always am just like, like when I lose, it's like the end of the world. So yeah, no. <laughs> I'm gonna have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, I was just gonna it's ask like you, a Jake. Curse. Everything I do, I'm competitive. If I don't win, it'll keep me up. Like a freaking okay. I'll ask you, Array. Uh, board games, I, video yeah. games. I don't ever you have to win. Yeah. <laughs> Like if I don't win, I'm, I literally, I literally practice a game to this day because me and my brother had competitions and I found out my friends play it. And now I play it still. And I'm, I want to be better than my friends. And then I want to go to freaking, I go to gaming tournaments. Like it's, it's a curse. It's a, like a sickness. And I'm such a sore loser to the point where I'll be like, no, I, I just won't even, I won't even play because I don't want to ruin everybody's life. <laughs> if I lose, I don't want to ruin everybody's night. <laughs> Yeah, I want people playing this game to have a fun time. I don't want to ruin the experience yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not me. I don't care about anybody's time. I don't care about how anybody's doing or how anybody feels. This is all about me. You know, me playing until you win. That you're you one of those. I want to win, right? <laughs> like I'll have fun. I will have fun. But if I'm not winning, now it becomes like a competitive thing where I have to work to win. Right. And what's funny is like, I'm not like a, like a dick about it. I'm not like, you know, never going to play with you or uh, I'm not going to stop playing until I win. I'll just, Hey, I'll keep that in mind. You're going down next time. You know, like <laughs> I'm going to think about this. I'm going to remember this. I noted. 
You're not just going to yeah. beat me for Smash Bros. It's not going to happen. Like, I will get you back. You're you're done. Like, I'm sorry. And then we, hey, man, I've lost friendships. Whatever. Kill the guy once. Anyway. <laughs> He's kidding. But, um, yeah, I'm a pretty competitive. Are you a Danny me is super competitive, but I feel like you got to be a little competitive at some things. Yeah, right? I'm definitely competitive. I asked, I asked earlier that question about, like, if – Jiu-jitsu does losses don't impact you as much because you have other stuff going on. I have like plenty of other stuff going on, but I still get crushed every time I lose in jiu-jitsu. So yeah, you I can definitely. Siblings, Was that? Yeah. Have I have. Do I have siblings? siblings? Yeah, I got three. Because I feel like like I'm the oldest, right? So it's me and my younger sister, and I like different. And I I always tell my mom that it's her fault because with me it was like. I got a 99. It's like, oh, why didn't you get a hundred? But with my sister, it was kind of like, oh, I got to see. Just happy to be here. Like my sister is the most carefree, like non-competitive person ever. And and people always tell me like, lighten up. Why you got to be like that? Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, must be nice to live in your little world. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things don't matter to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I do find that funny though. I feel like. When you have a lot of siblings, there's always one who's like the most competitive and the type A personality who's achieving things. And then it seems like sometimes the other siblings are more relaxed and and stuff. So it, it makes you even more competitive because you're held to a higher standard. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it also has to do like, okay, think about this, being competitive. Like when I was a kid, I was very skinny and weak and I, I couldn't like – I couldn't – deal with the fact because i was too tall for the kids class at one point i was just too big but i was not strong enough to be an adult so i'm in the adult class getting smashed all the time and eventually i got really sick of getting smashed by by adults so my technique got better but i became very competitive as well in class not to an unhealthy degree where i was like the kid everybody hated but you know what i mean like i I wanted to win like i was so sick of getting like dude this guy tim wong tim wong is a good friend of mine to this day but this guy is a he's this big buff asian dude and he's great. He's he's uh I've known him for like ever. And he used to just beat me down. And I'm like 15 years old. I'm 135 pounds. He's like 189 pounds of muscle. I'm sick of it. So eventually, as soon as I started to be able to beat him, I would pick him and be like, yeah, I'm going to get back all this like eight years of you beating me. And that like led to com- com- being competitive in, in other aspects. You know, I feel like being a kid, being a kid is rough, especially when you go into the adult program. If you're the, that kid that goes right into the adult program, that first, like, you're, like, hazed by the adults for sure, just getting beat up. It's the worst. Yeah, I, I would do I, – I would be in the kids program, but I would still um, go up and train with, like, uh, the the ladies that were there too. So literally, I don't know if you guys know Nadia Easton, um, yes. but – yeah, so I, I would train with her a lot, and I would get so frustrated because she always beat me. <laughs> always. <laughs> I'm like, we're the same size. I don't understand. And, like, my people have to be like, like, she's a she's a brown belt. <laughs> You're like a yellow belt. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> yeah, don't get too high on yourself. So, so one thing I, I thought was really interesting that you talked about in uh, the interview you did on the BJ Goons podcast too was uh, just like your training schedule because I think you mentioned that you were for a lot of your career you're only training like twice a week. Um, so did did you have like periods of time where you were training more than that, or has that been kind of consistent from when you were a kid until now? So, um, 
I started training twice a week when I got to ninth grade. And then it kind of just stayed like that until I got a car, I think 12th grade. But in those kind of like, even when I was a kid, maybe like 10 or 11, I would still do what helped a lot was the summer camp. So that two, three months or whatever, where we would um, have summer camp, we would still get pulled aside and like have extra trainings or extra conditioning and stuff too. And I feel like that would kind of give me a boost um, because everybody else would be training like every day and I would just come in like twice a week. So it was a little bit different, but for the most part, um, twice a week. And then it went back to Friday, Saturday when I got to college because I didn't have a car initially. And then when I did get my car, um, college was hard. So <laughs> I just kept it to Friday and Saturday. Like Jake, I literally, about- that would take me hours. So I could not be at the gym all the time. Yeah. Jay, Jay, do you feel like you had a schedule that was pretty consistent growing up as well? Or, or were you kind of all over the place? Well, I mean, I, I also did MMA. So when I was a kid, I would, uh, I would, well, okay. I did karate first. I did Taekwondo. So uh, up until about 12 years old, I only did like 45 minutes of martial arts a day. I'm like, that's it. Um, and that was on top of like being in elementary school. And then once I got to about 12 years old, I met Andre. Well, I, I had a coach before that, but Andre was the, he's my coach still to this day. Um, and I, when I did that, I was also doing boxing, Muay Thai, kickboxing, wrestling. Like I was doing it all in a day. So all of a sudden I'm training like six hours a day. And, uh, and that, so I didn't have like a, like a social life. I would go to school until like three 50. I would be in the kids class from four at four 30. And then I would get out of the gym just doing different disciplines at like 10 PM. And that was my schedule every day. So I was hilariously overtraining at like 13 years old. And then by the time I hit 16, I was pretty much done. I was like, I, I hate this now. I hate everything but jujitsu. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I instead of doing six hours a day of training MMA, I would do like three hours a day of jujitsu. So, it, but it always revolved around like I went to the gym, or I went to school, and then after I was done with school, I had like a two-hour grace period, and then I would go to the gym for the rest of the day. And that's kind of how it goes now, except for instead of school, I go to the morning class. So I've always had kind of a busy schedule, but um. It's the only thing that hasn't changed is pretty much like weekends. I do nothing weekends. I like it's two days of me just dying and being a potato because <laughs> during the week I am just, I am like all over the place. I got done with the, the morning class today, cleaned the whole Academy. And then I came here, boom, open guard cast. You see now I'm, I, and now I do a podcast. So sometimes I'm even doing more stuff, but, um, it, what's funny is I'm saying all this, but I, I guarantee you it's nowhere near as much work as you did civil engineering. So I'm not going <laughs> to make it sound like, oh, my gosh, I'm so busy. You're over here like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I got a master's degree. So <laughs> how does that how does that feel? Yeah, I think it's always interesting to, to see, like, how – because we talked about, like, kids and retention and stuff like that and keeping them interested. So it's, it's interesting to see because I do see a lot of kids who are gung-ho from the beginning and they're training – you know, seven days a week and then they kind of disappear. And even if they were getting really good results in competition, just because they get burned out. So do do you think there's like, do you think it's important for kids to to find a balance? Like even if they are obsessed with jujitsu, do you think it's good for them to kind of 
pull back on the reins a little bit just to make sure that they stay interested and engaged? I think it depends on the kid, honestly. I feel like um, the way I did it was different than a lot of my uh, teammates because they would be at the gym like all the time. I, I never felt like I missed out on anything, but I never felt burnt out either. Um, like I was involved in SGA in school and like activities and stuff. I would miss people's birthdays or something like that, but I, I you know, but I, I think it depends on the kid. I, I don't know. Cause I, I think of somebody like Jamil where I know that he's been like consistently at the gym since he was like 10 and he is, you know, world champion, <laughs> black belt world yeah. champion. So, <laughs> but I know other people who ha- were at the gym, and, you know, by high school, they were like, hate it. See you guys, you know, when I see you. So <laughs> it, it depends on the kid and the mindset, I think, that they have, too, and, and what's important to them. Because I feel like a lot of people's priorities change as they get older. Mm-hmm. And I feel like high school is a very complex social environment as well. So like I was pulled in a couple different directions. I, I when I was uh, when I first started, I wanted to be like an MMA fighter. That was my big thing. But then in high school, a couple different interesting programs came up that I was like, I want to be a news anchor. And that was like I was dead set on that. Was there anything in high school that you felt like piqued your interest just a little bit? Nothing that would like take you off of jujitsu, but like for a moment you thought, what if? Not really. <laughs> well, good. Hey, no, that's more power too. I was, uh, I'm easily influenced. So, uh, yeah, me too. I, yeah, me too. I was I'm like, man, this news anchor thing. I, I entered into a video production program in high school, and I was like, super, super interested in this and becoming a news anchor. I was gonna go to, I was uh, in line to get a scholarship to Walter Cronkite University, and I was like, we're gonna go. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wow, why am I gonna quit? I want to do jujitsu. So now I do what I learned there for jujitsu, which I guess helped. But, um, I'll like, say that I, uh, so with choosing a college, I didn't know what, like, where I was going to go. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, whoever gives me the most money. So, but that ended up being in state and my college is like 30 or 40 minutes away. So it ended up working out. But if, you know, I got a full ride in some somewhere in North Carolina, knows what happened, honestly, because my parents were like, Whoever, whoever gives you most money, that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I ended up, I ended up not going to college. <laughs> and then you found podcasting. That was your your main passion. I go to the Open Guard Cast University <laughs> of Applied Logic. <laughs> Currently the dean. <laughs> Just like Alex Turner is the dean of thick and lean, I am the dean of know what I mean. <laughs> that reminds me, JT used to, uh, he used to say. He's like, hooray, college. You could just go to the team with Irvin College. <laughs> University of Team White Irvin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, so do you want to talk a little bit about like where your competition career was at like before COVID? Like what, what was the last tournament you competed in? I think the last tournament I competed at was in twenty nineteen. So it was um like I said I I would I have been dealing with like a rotator cuff issue that I didn't didn't quite figure out issue I was going to the doctor and they couldn't figure out and then like this had gone on for like months and months and it was like on and off training 
So I finally went to a chiropractor who actually like understands jujitsu and impact like the stuff you do. He was like, Oh yeah, this is your rotator cuff. Yeah. Keep coming back. We'll we'll figure it out. And like I had just gotten it kind of figured out. So I was like excited to compete at Pans this year. So I was like, I've been away. Usually, you know, we do the New Yorks and all that, but I, I would just kind of be tagging along. Mm. So it seems like right now is kind of a time where the IBJJF is bringing back a lot of tournaments. Um, there's some super fight tournaments coming up. Um, was that? I know you mentioned that you hadn't been training just because of COVID and and just those type of reasons. But were those when you started seeing those pop up? Were those tournaments that you wanted to jump into, or were you feeling like I have to get back on a normal training schedule and you know really prepare myself before I jump back into competition? Oh yeah, I'm not. Not going out there looking crazy, or yeah, yeah I definitely <laughs> need some training before I get back to doing anything. More power mm -hmm. to the people that do it, but <laughs> I don't like not being prepared. <laughs> yeah, for sure, it's definitely tough. And uh, do you have any plans to do like a like any no gi or any like a ADCC, anything like that? Or are you mostly a gi competitor? I prefer gi, um, mm -hmm. way, way, way more. Love it. Um, no gi is cool. I, I, I'm open to it, but I think I would need to train Nogi a little bit more. Yeah. What do you think about the IBJJF uh, allowing heel hooks? What's your opinion on that? I mean, I know people are all excited, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not well versed in heel hooks, so I have to like figure that out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 10th Planet probably had a party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably them and uh, some of the Henzo Gracie schools were really, really excited about that. <laughs> That's true. A lot That's of true. a lot of BJJ schools are going to have to start, like, I guess, adjusting and actually, you know, teaching that stuff. Because yeah. I feel like a lot don't. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think about, because I, I feel like your team, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you guys have a really good understanding of the rules. So I'm guessing that when you're, training you're probably keeping like an ibjf rule set in the back of your mind um would you say that that that's accurate mm -hmm. so what do you think the best thing for schools to do is now who like want to have high level nogi competitors but they have to add in like all these new techniques and all these different setups and defenses what do you think the best way to do that is i i probably gone like maybe doing some hybrid type stuff where i guess IBJJS is your basis, but even sometimes, like, if somebody has a super fight coming up or when Jamil was training for ADCC, all we were doing was, like, ADCC rules. Or, so you just kind of have to start implementing that in the room and, and teaching it. it it's going to be an adjustment. Do you have thoughts on that, Jake? I think it's important. I think it's important to, to – well, I mean, because the reason why I ask about the IBJJF heel hook thing is because of that. Like, how do you prepare for that kind of stuff now? Like, Andre this week, my professor Andre, you know that weird, uh, you can enter honey hole legally, honey hole being like the inside reap position where you can grab the opposite leg that isn't reaped on 
but you can still reap the knee. You know how confusing that is for a gi fighter? Like, that looks like reaping. It looks like it. And then you can footlock the top leg, but you can't put the foot on the hip. It's like he's going over this this week, and we're, like, sitting here. And I understand it because I have to kind of study it for ADCC later on, and I, I like to study. And Danny's really helpful with that because he's got a brain, and I have, like, a half of one. But he, uh, <laughs> I'm over here, like, doing it, and I'm thinking, dude, this is so illegal. Like, it's really good for Nogi because it exposes the heel hook. It exposes everything like that. Uh, what, what, did I say something stupid? But, Dude, this um, is so illegal. No. I should I mean, not be doing this. Yeah, for sure, this is so illegal. And uh, and I'm over here, like, really feeling icky and dirty doing this, this rape. But it's legal, and people are doing it in tournaments. So we have to go over the defense for it, and the defense for it is pretty awesome. You get to do a burn bowl situation and everything like that. But – I'm thinking in my head how important it is for us to be able to keep up with the times and keep up with what's happening in tournament. Like, okay, think about how many gi fighters might use this position now that they're going to be practicing the no-gi stuff. That kind of stuff is really important. So I'm glad that you do that. I'm glad you have the foresight to be able to do that. And it's really prevalent with all your guys. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I absolutely adore uh, all the Lloyd Irvin guys who compete. I think you guys are so sick. Uh, I love Tim Spriggs uh, and how he incorporates judo into his jiu-jitsu. And after I saw Tim Spriggs, I started watching everybody else, and I'm like, God, these guys are all great. Like, why is everybody here good? <laughs> like, if I fight Malachi, I'm going to be watching for everything he does. I'm going to study him, uh, except for he's, you know, he's like a featherweight or a lightweight. But, you know, it's just open division stuff. I'm scared. <laughs> Malachi's light feather. Jamil's feather. Oh, yeah. oh. Oh, Malachi's lighter than than Jamil. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I don't know the podcast. You know, t- I can't tell how how big people are on the podcast. Yeah, Mal- Malachi's tall. He tells he has a swimmer's yeah, body. Funny. So, yeah. oh, that's true. He definitely <laughs> made the swimmer's that's body funny, joke. I make fun of him. I say that. Really? <laughs> that's really probably stole it from you. <laughs> that's what he said to us. He's like, I have a swimmer's body, man. See, I have like a track and field body where I'm like super tall, skinny. I look like I have a big stride. I can't run, ironically. <laughs> you know what I mean? So speaking of that, did, were there any other sports that you were into as a kid before you got into jiu-jitsu? Or, or was jiu-jitsu kind of the only thing you ever really got into yeah. athletically? Yeah, it's the only thing I ever um, got into athletically, and I'm good at it. So again, like the competitiveness, um, my parents would like take my sister to tennis and stuff like, and I'm, I was strong too. I was strong kid. So like tennis, like where you have to control kind of your strength and stuff. Like they would get mad at me cause I would hit it over the fence. And I was like, I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just trying to crush the ball as hard as I can. Yeah. Sorry. Guys. <laughs> it's like, I don't like playing. I don't like playing with a Ray. She yells whenever she plays tennis. She's very, like, if I were to set the tennis ball on fire, she wouldn't be scared. That's, like, how intense she is when she plays tennis. <laughs> That's scary. Tennis is hard. How did you even play tennis? I don't have the hand-eye coordination for tennis, I don't think. Have you ever of- played tennis, Danny? No, I played ping pong. That's just tennis, but smaller. <laughs> I can't, I'm not, I'm not good at stuff where you have to kind of, like... Control it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you like, okay, so you like to smash past the guard, then. Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. Cool, cool, cool. And heavy pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's how I. Uh, that's how I'm gonna gauge. If I ever want to get a guest and like it's an in-person interview, be like, all right, what what game does this guy play? What game does this lady play? All right, cool. We're gonna uh we're gonna play some ping pong. And then if they smash the ball, all right, you definitely like the knee cut. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but if they're really good at ping pong, they like to finesse and do leg drags and like you know, 
Right. That's pretty. That's pretty <laughs> funny. Like, I feel like uh, whenever you know, it's another crazy thing, Danny, about interviewing guests is I notice the similarities I have with people, because like I can't do that either. I have a very like I can't. Uh, here's a funny struggle of mine. I can't strum the guitar with a pick. I can't do it. I play guitar and I I can't do it because my wrist. Whenever I make a grip, my wrist is so conditioned to flex with it that I can't pinch and leave my wrist loose. I'll shake. <laughs> So I can't like playing the guitar is really hard because I'll drop the pick. So I have to use my fingers. <laughs> so and that's really funny to me because I realize that about myself. I'm like I am too intense of a person. Like I have a, I probably have high blood sugar because I can't do that. You high know, blood pressure. <laughs> Whatever the case is, Danny, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I'm not a freaking doctor. I don't know blood sugar and pressure, the difference between the two. <laughs> Gosh, smart people are no- annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I've been the I've been the call with two people with master's degrees. I'm like, me eat, me do jujitsu, me sleep. <laughs> Gosh, that's funny. So, so do you want to talk about like some of the the goals you have, like with getting back into training and getting back into tournaments? Like, do you first want, like you mentioned, that you obviously want to have like a, a pretty set training schedule before you get back into competition? But is there any like specific tournaments that you kind of have your eyes on or anything like that? Um, just getting back to the IBJJF kind of grind and uh, maybe, you know, it, it's a lot of tournaments, especially since we're on the East Coast, that we're kind of limited because it's expensive to travel to the yeah. West Coast and all these different places. But I I would like to go to like um, Europeans and Brasileiros. Um, just because I, I've heard that like the energy is insane and like competing there is crazy and it's just like a a, a wonderful experience and um, so I would definitely like to do that. I want to go to European so bad. Yeah, yeah I, I was gonna say I feel like the energy in that room. I've never been there, but you can just just kind of like radiates off the screen when you're watching on Flow Graph. Yeah. Like it's pretty yeah. crazy, like chanting. I'm- Tommy uh, Langaker submitted Herbert Santos with the triangle. Like how crazy everyone in the arena was going. It was yeah. pretty sweet yeah. to watch. <laughs> and then he won. And then he won this last year middleweight. And he beat Ronaldo. He triangled Ronaldo too. And man, it's just like, like that's that and Japan. I want to go to Europeans. I want to oh, go to Japan. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I want to compete in Brazil too. I think every American athlete wants to compete in Brazil at least once. But ah, man, I want to go to Europeans so bad. After I saw, well, what do you say? You, uh, um, like if Spider ever did, you know, some lady stuff. Ooh, yeah, they, they should. Have, that, they that really looks, should. Yeah, that it really should. Looks like great. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. be amazing. South Korea is cool. My buddy, my buddy Trevor Lagerstrom was actually he, uh, he was stationed there, and he talked about how that whole area in I think it's pronounced Seoul, South Korea. Is yeah. just so nice. It's crazy nice down there. And I, they treat the athletes super well. Apparently, even in the midst of all this COVID stuff, they quarantine you for two weeks. You're like, you're able to have food, and they give you like, they take care of you. And it's like, oh, that's. Kind of, they wear hazmat suits, which is, I don't know, it's a little crazy to me. But <laughs> but if some guy handed me food in a hazmat suit, I would think the food was poisoned, not me. <laughs> so. Um, so I was definitely a little taken aback when when Kevin Carrasco told us about that, but. It seems like they take care of the athletes super great. And I don't know, like, I feel like more female-only tournaments, I mean, I feel like the females are exciting. So they they would probably benefit yeah. being able to bring the uh, the ladies out there. I know Third Coast did a did an all-women show. 
And I forget who won. Was it Anna Rodriguez won and she fought Natchele J. Jesus in the final? Or was that Anna Carolina that won? I think it was Anna Carolina Vieira who yeah. won. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Man. I yeah, those fights were those fights were incredible. And I feel like th- that's a really good point. I, f- I think Spider should do something like that. I know BJJ Stars is doing some female super fights this weekend, which is going to be awesome. Oh, no. It's Friday. Never mind. Okay. It's yeah. Cla- Claudio Duvall and uh, Gabby Garcia are having a super fight. I think that's going to be interesting. I haven't seen Claudia do uh, do any super fights lately. I know she fought on Fight Twin a couple times in 2019, maybe once mm-hmm. in 2020, but I haven't seen her do nothing. And I sur- certainly haven't seen her fight anybody who fights like Gabby Garcia. So that should be interesting. So, so what's your take on – because there was this movement uh, maybe – two years ago or so like i think it was called like equal pay for bjj it was basically trying to get the purses for tournaments for women to be equal to those of men and um i I thought it was really cool it was i think there's been some progress in that area but i don't know if it's it's definitely not equal yet what's your what's your take on the jujitsu scene for women and and how far it's come and maybe how far it has to go also i think a lot of people have been very supportive uh, and, and trying to create more opportunities for the women. Um, I, I think we still have a little bit to go. I know that everybody's argument is always, well, like, well, the numbers aren't there or whatever, but I feel like the women are, you know, like the quantity might not be there yet, but the quality is definitely there. Like, it's always some amazing matches when you watch um high level women competitors, like the techniques and everything. So I, I hope we get there. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I think I did a New York pro at Brown belt and Jamil was a purple belt and we both won and we both won. I, I think he actually won more money than me. And I was just like, all right. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> hey, that is not cool. <laughs> that is not fair <laughs> at all. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that argument about the quantity and stuff, and at first I kind of thought like, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. But the more I thought about it, I feel like for women to reach for for a woman to go through the ranks and reach black belt, it's very likely that she's going to be training with people bigger and stronger than her throughout her career. So it's almost like it, it's I would say it's more difficult on average for a woman to reach black belt than a man, just in terms of like physicality and just all the different things that they have to go through coming up in an academy. Would you, what, what do you think about that? I, I, I think I agree. Um, it takes just a certain, like, certain mindset to go through, you know, training, especially, I, I feel like a lot of gyms, you're, if you're training, you're, you're most likely going to be training with guys, like, mm-hmm. realistically. Like, that's just what it is at this point. You might have a couple of, um, um, you know, female training partners, but for the most part, it's going to be guys. And you kind of have to go through that, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of ego thing with guys. Like you get out on them a little bit, then they just start like smashing you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. So to go, to go through that and then, um, you know, still be able to show up the next day and, and go through it again and again and again, if that happens or, you know, it, it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I Go ahead, Jake. I was just going to bring up the tournaments like not having equal pay. Like 
I feel like, and this is just this is just a conjecture. This is more of a question about how you guys feel about what I'm about to say. Maybe if the equal pay were equal regardless, and they said, "Hey, listen, it's equal pay for this for this event, right? Like equal pay for women and women and men." More women would sign up, and they would feel more enticed, and it would be fair to even sign up. But do you feel like maybe a lot of women don't sign up for these tournaments because there isn't equal pay to begin with, and they feel like, "Hey, we're being cheated anyway. I don't really want to sign up." Do you feel like that ever happens, or no? Yeah, because I know that I feel like that sometimes too. And then the other thing is like where I get the numbers aren't there, but they have like the open class versus like in IBJJF, I think they do the light and the heavyweight. Um, yep. Whereas like I'm 125 pounds and I'm just gonna, you know, all right, I'll do the open class and try to win less money than this guy. Sure. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it kind of depends. And I think, um, I, I can't remember, but when they started doing money for the world, it they they kind of put a, a like a little asterisk, like but this division needs this amount of competitors, and it's kind of like re- like really, you know, we don't have those numbers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I started thinking about it more when uh, just just looking around at my own academy. There's a couple female like rooster weights who compete a lot, and. Like I, sometimes I go into the gym and I leave and I'm like, oh, I'm just getting my ass kicked the whole time. And then I think about them. I'm like, wow, I'm really I'm being a bitch <laughs> and because uh, they have to go through so much more than, than I do just to to get good training and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I feel like to, if they if they're to put like a cap like that, like people's body types generally fall within like a certain range. So there's not as many people at certain weights. So it doesn't really I think they need a better solution than just making a, a limit. Yeah, because like. Competing against somebody, you already have like nerves and adrenaline and, you know, you know how your forearms and all that. But then against somebody way bigger than you is like literally I I remember I did the open. um, I think it was like my first year at Black Belt and I competed against Dominica, who actually we kind of grew up together um, competing against each other at like Naga's Grapplers Quest and stuff. But, you know, she's way bigger than me now. I'm, I'm, I feel like I've been the same size for I don't know how long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the same as I been. Yeah. Um, but afterward, I was just like, my whole body hurts, and <laughs> I would like to go sit in the bathtub because <laughs> I don't know how people do that. But like the the open weight before your actual division, I I don't know. I, I can't feel like that and then still have to compete in my actual division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it's pretty crazy how they do that because especially for if you're a lighter competitor, like I, I, the first example I think of is Lucas Lepre at the Europeans, uh, yeah. the one that he fought Levi in. He fought like Kainan, he fought uh, Saif or however you pronounce that that gentleman's name who's like 330 pounds. He had to do no that idea. all of that before he fought in his weight class. So. You know, you never know what the outcome of his other matches would have been had he not had those wars with guys who are twice his size. Yeah. Yeah. It's It was easy for me at Pan Ams because I kind of didn't fight my second match. I uh, I got bulldozed by Gustavo Batista. He was gentle. <laughs> he was very gentle with how he, he was gentle. Up. He was, dude. He'd look back on the match and tell me that guy didn't gently put me in a freaking arm triangle and choke me very gently. It was like taking a nap. I just had a little assistance, but I I didn't go to sleep, but I did tap. But he, I'm joking, but I think it's like, it's it's pretty fun. And I think the dynamic changes a little bit. For for instance, I didn't fight 
because I knew, okay, this is the quarterfinal of the open division. I need to put myself in a really good position and I need to like really make this an efficient fight. Otherwise, if I get into a war, I have to fight later too. I know that, right? I think a lot of people fight that. And I was going against Gustavo Batista. Arm, and I'm going to be honest, statistically, am I supposed to win this fight? No. So I kind of do also have to fight my ass off because if I don't, I'm going to lose, right? And I'm already supposed to. So I was putting that weird catch 22. But I think that um, for the for the example of Lucas Lepre, like that was a big thing for him to get second in the absolute. You got yeah, second, in the absolute, second in his division. I think that's fine. I think, dude, like you lost the finals to Levi. You were obviously super duper tired or um, you were obviously tired. You had to fight against Kynan before you fought against Levi. Right. Am I am I correct in that? Yep. Like, dude. And then he fought Gustavo Batista in the final. You got to fight Stephen Duarte. Yeah, I actually feel like that was his best performance. So I don't oh, think losing man. in either of those matches yeah. negatively impacted his career. Neither do I. And I think that it's it, like for me, it was really eye opening to see. Okay, wow, that's that is something I need to prepare for. I need to be ready to do this because I love competing in the open. I won't. I will never not compete in the open again. I didn't for Nogi Pans. And that was a mistake. I should have competed in, in the open for Nogi Pants because it was fun, man. It's like so fun to compete in the open. And I'm uh, a light for medium heavy. I actually walk around like 185 uh, for medium heavy, which is means I'm 10 pounds underweight. And I won't cut because I can't because I'm too skinny. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that there's something to be said for how people fight in the open. It's just a little bit different. Yeah. I used to do the open um, in college or – even before college, at, at some point, like purple belt, um, brown belt, I did lightweight. So that was 140. So I felt like I was a little bit bigger. Now, somehow, I'm like 125. So <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's really different. It's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? Because you mentioned, and I know the IBJF does this for the pro events, they split the open into like a lightweight open and a heavyweight open. Do you feel like that's a viable option for like, like going forward? Cause, cause then it gives, you know, maybe then it doesn't matter if the opens before your weight class, because you're not having to burn all your energy against someone who's twice your size. Yeah. I, I think that's like, I just feel like they throw all the women in a barrel and um, if they split it up, I, I think they will have more women showing up to compete. Yeah. What do you think, Jake? Hmm, I agree. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's it sucks, man. Like, uh, I think that they should definitely uh, do a better job of trying to balance it out better. That's my because it's like, like I, I think that everybody like, man, how are you gonna get more people to do jujitsu if it doesn't feel fair? You want more people to do jujitsu? It's more. It's it's fair to make it equal. It just is. At the end of the day, it just is. I understand that like some people argue that the numbers aren't the same, but it's like, come on, man. Yeah. How are the numbers gonna get the same? <laughs> I, I think uh, I did like a, I think I did a New York Pro maybe. I want to say it was like two years ago, maybe three. Uh, time is I don't even know at this point. <laughs> yeah, but it's I, hard right now. <laughs> for, for the open, you had to in in it. I think it's $1,500, but you know they give $4,000 to the men, but it's $1,500 for the open for the black belt women. But I think you had to have a minimum of three people. And it was just like Natali and Tayani. And I, I was like, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in, like 
so you got somebody can get the money <laughs> like so <laughs> because if it's just you two they're not going to they're not going to give anybody a check um so i try to do but i i think they should do better <laughs> yeah that is, that's crazy you're like i'll uh, jump in if you give me 500 bucks because <laughs> otherwise you get nothing <laughs> have you considered like doing any super fights um yeah i'm open to it uh i the last I, all of my super fights have been with toledo i like i like toledo she's a scrapper yeah um, she's fun to watch yeah but i'm open to more mm-hmm all right, maybe I'll have to I'll have to message Seth Daniels then and be like, hey, listen, guy, there's a person not not too far away from Philadelphia here, you know. He's in Philadelphia for the foreseeable future, and he's always I think he's always looking to put on really good shows and might just be a uh, might just be an avenue for you to jump back in. Yeah, not anytime soon. I need to like actually train, but yeah, for, oh, for sure, for sure. Not like obviously I wouldn't just be like Seth, she's training hard, she's able to do it. Get her on no. this card Saturday. Yeah, get her on this card right now. And you'll be like, oh, my gosh, I just ate a freaking – I just ate whatever I wanted. What are you talking about? Man, I got a call the other day about a freaking fight that didn't end up going through. But I, like, just ate donuts. Like, I just <laughs> ate donuts. And I'm like, wow, it's convenient. I don't feel good right now. You know? Fight fell through. But, hey, I would have taken it. Like, screw it. Let's do it. Did you did you go for a run or get on the bike after? Like shoot. <laughs> no, I went to class. <laughs> you know what's sad? I was on my way to class. Made himself puke out the window. Nah. The window. <laughs> I got the strongest stomach this side of the Mississippi, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> Throw up. Growing up is for squares. Ate before class? No, not eight donuts. I ate some donuts, not <laughs> I didn't not eight donuts, multiple donuts. Eight donuts. If I ate eight donuts, that would be eight donuts that I ate. But you <laughs> donuts before practice and feel like good? Yeah. Oh, I no, I, okay. I've actually had me. the uh I've had this weird like I think that my stomach is super duper strong for some reason. One time uh, I was working with an NFL running coach. Uh I don't know how I did that. I wasn't like my own accord. It was my friend Clayton Carpenter had the connection and so i just went with him and it was awesome we did like sprinting workouts turned that was in the period of my overtraining before it was my birthday one day and i had to go do a workout with him so i ate cinnamon rolls right before i went and i didn't puke i did the workout but the, my stomach is super strong i've eaten taco bell before i went and competed oh, at a local man. tournament before it's like dude i just i could eat i don't want to do that but like if I'm not, you know, if I got a tournament like way, way far away, sometimes I'll let it slip. Sometimes, oh damn, how did I get in this drive-through? Whoa, I woke up. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's crazy. Why am I hello? I guess I'll take some. Yeah, sure. Let's let's buy that. But uh I usually try to eat pretty pretty healthy. But uh sometimes, you know, you just find yourself stuffing your face full of something that's not very, very good for you. Don't judge. Judge less not you be judged, right? Come on. Judge me. Oh, that's impressive. Hey. Yeah. Oh, after I mean, tournaments, it's it a work. mess. After tournaments, it's a mess. Like one time, I um, it was my but my buddy, it was his birthday, and we went to the San Diego Open, and I got third in the absolute, and I got first in my division. So I was like, all right, cool. And then I forgot that I was competing the next day because I forgot that I had signed up for Nogi, and so I had like uh, I think I had I had some cheesecake, I had a. Uh, <laughs> I had two, I had like three beers and, uh, and I ate like I ate like some fried chicken or something like that, and then I won the uh, I won double gold the next day 
And no, no way. Yeah, I woke up late yeah. and I rushed to the uh, gymnasium and I won and I won uh, double gold all submissions. So I was like, so ever since then you've eaten cheesecake, fried chicken, drink, and beer. I drink five beers tournament. a night. I drink five <laughs> beers a night and harness that energy. I'm just kidding. No. But that was a one-time thing, and I I promised myself I would never do it again. I was like, dude, I cannot do that ever again, because I didn't feel good in the tournament, but I I ended up just doing well. God was watching over me that day. He was like, you're an idiot, but here's the thing. <laughs> Oh, I, and, I, asked. I was like, did you feel okay? <laughs> no, I didn't. I felt <laughs> awful. And that was the only time I've ever, I was the only time I've ever done that. Um, and I, I like my, but, uh, Cade who goes to my Academy, he's a, he's a, he's going to be our guest in the future. I'm not going to say what episode, but he's going to, he's going to be our guest. And he's one of my best friends. He was like, dude, he's like, how did you even, how did you even compete today? Like you are, you ate so bad last night. I didn't eat breakfast the next day because I was like, I'm going to be sick. Like I'm going to throw up probably. And it's not because like, you know, I got drunk. I had three beers, but, and they were Miller lights. So they're not really even beers. They're just water with beer taste. And I, I remember just being like, dude, I'm such an idiot. How did I forget that I was competing? That's so stupid. And then, uh, cause it was like a, around my third beer. Somebody was like, dude, aren't you competing tomorrow? And I was like, I was like, oh, damn, that's so stupid. Because I didn't do any nogi at the time. I just signed up for nogi because why not? Um, but yeah, that's the first time I ever told that open guardcast story. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's an open. That's an open guardcast good old story right there. Did you shotgun done any of the beers or just drank them? I shotgun the beers? No, I just drank them normal. I am a, a champion of shotgunning beer though. Back when I used to, you know, drink beer, but I would uh, I'd be able to shotgun a beer in one second flat. It was one second. I was just crazy, dude. I'm only 22, too. I already quit drinking beer. Tells you how much beer I drank. Yeah. What's up? Did, you, did you not go to college? Come on, Jay. I didn't go to college. These are college I just stories. had a bunch of friends who did. I just had a bunch of friends who did. And I would, like, uh, after tournaments, I would have a weekend, like, after a big tournament where I would I'd be like, all right, cool. I'm going to go be a college kid for a weekend. And then I would go and, like, do whatever. And now that I am devout in my faith and I have, like, really just completely shed all that office, I don't even want to do it anymore. I really look back and I'm like, wow. I drink a lot of beer for a 21 year old kid. My goodness. Like I would, I would like get so sick. Anyway, this has been a, this has been a weird Jake Watson tangent. Uh, yeah, even I though Jake about... co-hosts this, the show, none of his behaviors are endorsed by the open guard cast. Oh, so. no. <laughs> like I just said, I'm trying to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I am, I am I'm talking about my past because the future is bright. You know, the, 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 the beer that I drank Miller light. Uh, not that. Don't drink. That's the wrong light you're after, kiddo. You better be after the light of God. <laughs> it's not. You don't drink Miller Light. Uh, yeah, no. That's. I just was. Uh, I'll probably get into more crazy stories about st- stupid stuff I did when I was, you know, a year ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a whole year ago. But uh, yeah, no. That's uh Let's uh. Let's let's just stop. That's uh. That's. <laughs> this has been unproductive. To uh. To this is not conducive to our guest. Our guest is doing cool stuff. She's a civil engineer, and we're not being civil, right? <laughs> we're engineering uncivility. It's not good. <laughs> All right. So now that that's over, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, we really, really, really appreciate it. It's been a little bit over an hour, so we don't want to take up too much of your day. We know you're super busy. So is there any any sponsors you want to thank or any uh, teammates or anyone at all? Um. Oh, Team Lloyd Irvin, uh, Macedoni, Macelloid, Jamil. I, I don't want to start. Malachi, Angelo. So, like, if I have to say everybody now. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're all under the Team Lord Urban. No, Michael, Sydney. Oh, your oh. entire family oh. a Team Lord Urban. this astrology, the Flash. <laughs> the Flash. Yeah, Nico Staten, the Flash. We gotta get him on. Yeah, <laughs> sure. He had that awesome Instagram challenge. I didn't do it though because I'm not that fast. But uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Well. We would like to thank you, first and foremost, for coming on and listening to me be an idiot for an hour and Danny be smart. <laughs> and uh, we would like to thank Electrum Performance for, uh, while I can't be smart, I can be tough. And thanks to Open Guardcast 25, our Electrum Performance discount code in which you can get 25%, a.k.a. 0.25. See, I know, Matt. You can get that off <laughs> quicker, off of their programs. Uh and if you want to get thick, mean, lean, and swole like Alex Sterner and Alex Bryce, two people named Alex, you may not be able to be named Alex, but you can be as thick as them using election performance, uh, which we love very much. And also we want to thank High Tier Photography, Chill Fit Cryo, Agro Brand, uh, Logo to Life, and Break New Ground because they all support this show too. And we want to thank the fans. Once again, if you guys want to leave an awesome review or uh, just you know tell us how bad we are at what we do, either way, it's a review. You know, We're asking you to be honest. Speak your mind. Maybe you hate us. What do you think? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you now. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this has been a very fun episode. Um, I'm glad you guys get to know more about me. I'm going to ask Danny a bunch of personal questions in the next episode to get him back. But uh, such as what is his social security number? You guys will know <laughs> next time on the Open Guard cast. But, uh, Danny, if you don't have any – do you have any uh, else to say? I want to give it off no. to you. No, I, I think if you guys can leave the review and uh, a rating on iTunes, that would be really helpful for us. I don't, I don't think we've asked for that before, so we don't have a ton of reviews as of right now, but um, the ones we've gotten are, are positive, so you can continue that trend, or like Jake said, if you think we suck, you can let us know mm -hmm. about that, too. For we'll sure. try to get better. <laughs> yeah, the minimum you can leave is five stars, and if you don't leave five stars, then I will just don't bother. You, yeah, and I will kill you. <laughs> I will track you down. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Uh, all right. Well, Danny, take us out of so, here. So thanks, everyone, for listening. This is episode 58 with Ray Alexander from Team Lloyd Irvin. And, uh, yeah, it was an awesome episode, and we hope to see you guys again soon in a couple of days. Thank you.